Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 31 of Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to begin by reading verses 15 and 16. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And last time, we were looking at the words cold and hot, and we saw how they both point to faithfulness to God's word. Coldness identifies with giving someone a cup of cold water, a drink of the gospel. And to be hot relates to fervency, to be uh, spiritually diligent in sharing the truth of the scripture. And God says, I would that thou wert cold or hot. Yes, that you were in one way or another doing things according to my will and desire that the gospel go forth in a faithful manner. But you're not. And because of this, verse 16 declares, so then because thou art lukewarm, and if you're lukewarm, you're not cold and you're not hot, just as um, you're running your water in the sink or in the shower. And if you just turn on the hot water, it's too hot. And so we try to adjust it to get it warm. We we prefer, um, many of us, not everyone, but many prefer something in the middle, something lukewarm. Well, that's fine if you're taking a shower, but it is not fine at all spiritually it is not a good thing spiritually god requires either cold or hot not lukewarmness you know we'd have to say that uh, here the lord is addressing the new testament church the uh, what's being said here applies to the churches and congregations throughout their history and has special application to the church at the end as the Lord comes to visit and pronounce the judgment which began at the house of God. And we're all through that now. The end of the church age uh, came over two decades ago. The Great Tribulation's 23 years has already occurred. And now we're in those days after that tribulation. We're in the day of judgment itself. We know that. And and God here primarily is addressing this to the churches. But, however, the principle that's being stated here has application to every believer, to every child of God. You know, uh, it's been over two years since May 21, 2011. Where is the fervency? Where is the fervent desire, the diligence, the eagerness to bring the gospel. If people who claim that God is still saving, that God is still granting mercy and saving sinners, why are they not going forth with the gospel? Why are they not printing tracts? and handing out tracts and developing track trips. Where 
is the urgency? Where is that tremendous sense of importance that I must get this gospel out now before it's too late because people are dying every day. And and so we have to go forth. Now, God's people had that great sense of urgency and it was maximized. It was magnified by the Lord leading his people to get that gospel message out before May 21. Yes, there was great uh, fervency then. We would have to say the Lord's people were very hot. And they were distributing cold glasses of water, cold drinks to God's children. And this was taking place all over the earth. But since that day... There has been no such thing, not not even anywhere near um, the level that the gospel was getting out. And, of course, it would be understandable that a gospel declaration not reach that particular level of zeal. However, where is the gospel declaration at all today? Where is the strong desire, the moving uh, towards sharing God's word at all. We know it's not in the churches, no matter what they're doing, because God has abandoned the churches and congregations. So this really is directed towards God's people outside of the churches and congregations. And it's not the the believers, the true believers that understand Judgment Day came, were inactive for a very important reason, because God was commanding us not to sow seed upon ground that is experiencing fire and brimstone, and the Lord's people continue to understand that, and and so we did not for a couple of years, and up until this point, and. And God's people will not send forth the gospel in the same manner as before. Although now we're learning that we must share truth and feed sheep and get the teaching of the Bible out there to the world in a similar manner, but vastly different because there is no intent, no purpose, no design that any individual hearing it becomes saved. But what of those that think there is ongoing salvation? Where, where is again the uh, fervency and, and uh, it's not there. It's not to be found. And we'd have to say there's a horrible lukewarmness that has um, overtaken people. If it were so that God is still bringing the day of salvation well god's people aren't actively uh sharing his gospel to the world and it's very haphazard very casual Uh, there seems to be more interest in politics and more interest in social things and more interest in anything else other than sharing the truth of the scripture and of course, uh, again, this is not really a concern for the elect because the true believers know the day of salvation has ended. That's why there's no track trips. 
That's why there's um, no fervency. The Lord isn't stirring anyone up at all to get the message out there. There may be some people to go forth with their tracks and and they have their own ideas, just like those in the churches. And and they they people can think whatever they want and and they can share the gospel as they believe. But unless God is blessing it, it really doesn't matter. Well, here God says, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, the word will is a translation of a a word, mellow, that actually should be translated about. In in other words, it ought to read, I am about to spew thee out of my mouth. That is, uh, God has plans. He he is warning the church at Laodicea and the corporate church, the entire church, the, the whole church body, that if you continue with your uh, lukewarm condition, I will spew you out of my mouth at a certain future time. And that agrees with everything we know of God's plan He permitted the churches and congregations a period of space in order to see if they would repent, and they did not repent for 1,955 years. And following that allotted time, God came and visited, and what did he do? He spewed them out of his mouth. He ended the church age. He um ceased uh, his relationship with the the churches and congregations of the world they no longer were his representatives at all now they uh, they might think they are but god has ended his relationship they do not represent him to the world any longer we read in leviticus chapter 18 the the greek word spew found in Revelation 3, is only found in this verse. And so we're not helped there, but the word spew is found in the Old Testament in a few places. And one place is in Leviticus chapter 18, where it says in verse 26, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled, that the land spew not you out also when ye defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. Now here the Lord is speaking to Israel, And he's warning Israel that they had better keep his statutes and his judgments, his law, his word, or else the land would spew them out when they defile it. And sin uh, um, going contrary to God's law is defiling the land as the land spewed out the inhabitants before them, the nations that were there 
before Israel, the Canaanites. And, and so that tells us that due to sin, God first spewed out or had the land spew out the Canaanites. And, and how did the land spew out the Canaanites? Well, God brought Israel to bring his wrath upon the inhabitants of Canaan and he killed many of them and they were cast out of their own land and the land was given to Israel according to the promise previously given to Abraham. And now God is warning Israel and historically this this would have uh, application to them do not do as those people before you, or you will be spewed out, just like they were. And that's exactly what happens many hundreds of years later. First, with the ten tribes of Israel in the north, the Lord raised up the Assyrians, and they conquered Israel. And what did they do? Well, they took the Jews and move them to other nations. And then the Assyrians brought other peoples of conquered nations into the land of Israel, and they became known as the Samaritans. In other words, the land spewed them out. And then following that, a hundred or so years later, the Babylonians were raised up to bring judgment upon the land of Judah. And, and, and what was God's judgment? Finally, through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord commanded the Jews, you must go into Babylon, into captivity. You must come out of the land of Judah. It, in other words, the land spewed them out. It, it evicted them. It forced them to leave their homes. And likewise, God is picking up on this idea, this language of spewing out of his mouth. And, and why would he say his mouth? It, it, that's an interesting way of putting it. I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because in the way that God accomplishes this is through his word. And his word comes forth out of his mouth at a certain point. In time, at the time of the end, God opens up the scriptures that were sealed, as he said to Daniel, until the time of the end, and then knowledge would increase. And when we reach that point, which we already have, and the Lord opens up the understanding of his people to the information that was concealed for so long, they realize the church age is over, and this realization comes forth from the Word of God. The Word of God commands all Christians, professed Christians, to leave their churches and congregations, to come out of the church, to depart out of the midst and go to the world. The church, the inhabitants of the churches are being spewed out of the mouth of God because it's the word of God that is shining the light and revealing these things. 
and and declaring this situation to the people of God and God's people hearken they listen and and perform the doing of it as God moves in them to do so they obey God they do come out but the rest of the inhabitants of the churches and congregations of the world do not listen and therefore they are slain spiritually they they are destroyed because God has spewed them out one way or another. You come out willingly or you you will uh, be destroyed. And, and that's what God is warning here to the churches and congregations of the New Testament that, uh, look, uh, you're lukewarm as far as the gospel's concerned. And, and therefore, there will come a time... Uh, I am about to do it in that period of preparation before he actually did it lasted almost 2000 years. But there did come that that day and the judgment began at the house of God. Well, let's continue on in verse 17 of Revelation 3. And it says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, once again, the Lord is addressing the church of Laodicea and all churches. He's, he's addressing professed Christians. And today we have a church world uh, numbering somewhere around two billion, two billion professed Christians in the world. And what is stated in this verse is true of everyone that says he's a Christian, but is not. That is, there is a profession of mouth and and maybe in mind, the vast majority of people believe this. They think it's true, but there is no reality, no agreement with their heart condition uh, there, there is no work of the Lord Jesus Christ done on their behalf. And, and when the Bible says, as it does in the book of James, that faith without works is dead, being alone, that's exactly what God means. That you can say you have faith, but if you lack the work of Christ in making payment for your sins, your profession is worthless. It is dead, uh, just as you remain spiritually dead in sin and will die finally at the end uh, in, in every way. Uh, you will die the second death because a profession of faith means nothing regarding salvation. Profession never saved anyone. It's nice that you agree that God is God, that the the Bible is the word of God, and that Christianity is the correct religion. That's a good thing. But even the devils believe there is God. It, it, there, there's no salvation with the devils. And so God here is speaking to masses of professed Christians, disciples, Individuals that 
uh, follow him to one degree or another, but do not follow him from the heart because their hearts are far from him. And he says, because thou sayest, you see that that's the, the whole problem. This is just a bunch of words. It's just something that's coming forth from your mouth. And there is no, um, no matching reality in the heart. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. You see, when someone does say, I am a Christian, I am a believer, I am a child of God. Well, you're, you're basically, uh, saying that you are spiritually rich that you possess all of the incredible riches found in Christ, riches of wisdom and riches of God's grace and riches of his mercy and uh, all the the superabundant spiritual blessings that accompany salvation. You have the riches of eternal life, the riches of all sins forgiven, the riches of the promise of a new heaven and new earth in which you will dwell forevermore, the riches of a promise of never uh, crying or shedding tears any longer once that day comes, and of of living perfectly without ailment, and and on and on and on it goes. It it is an incredibly uh, wonderful and great thing to be a Christian, to be a true child of God. You have treasure in heaven above that is an enormous treasure. It it really is the greatest um, of gifts that God has bestowed upon you. And and when an individual says, well, I'm a Christian, they're saying, I have these riches. I possess them. I'm increased with all these spiritual goods and I have need of nothing. You know, that's how God actually would have a true believer to think. In Second Corinthians chapter six, he says in verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. That God wants the child of God, the true believer, to understand and and to um, enjoy the spiritual blessings that he has bestowed upon him. Yes, indeed, uh, uh, be sure that you are rich if you're truly saved. And you, you just count your blessings and name them one by one as the song says. If you're, you're ever cast down in spirit, if you're ever thinking, well, uh, woe is me for any reason, just think, uh, 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 somewhat of these things. Think of the glorious eternal future that awaits you and then contrast it, compare it to these measly few days, this this temporal um, time period that we now find ourselves in, there is no comparison. Nothing 
worthy to be compared. It, it is incredibly far more to have salvation than anything in this earth, than everything in this earth, to have your sins forgiven and, and to have received the new resurrected soul. But however, to be someone who claims that, who thinks that, who believes that, whose church confirms that, and whose friends support that, is worthless. It means nothing. It's of no value. And, and that's what God is, is getting at here. That it, this is what is said. And you think, uh, you have need of nothing. Yes, this is the, the thing you think. However, let me tell you the actual situation. And that's what he does on the next part of the verse, of verse 17. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, there's one thing you're saying. There's one thing you believe as you think you're accepting of Christ. You're walking down an aisle. You're saying of a sinner's prayer has brought this salvation to you. Okay, I realize that that's what you think is the case. But here is the reality. Here is the truth. Here is your actual spiritual condition. And you're you're ignorant of it. You don't know this. You knowest not that thou art wretched. And and then God goes on to list five things. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And it's not by accident. He lists five things as the number five. Um, in in this case, denotes the aspect of the atonement that relates to God's wrath and judgment. The wrath of God is upon you. You're you're under judgment, and th- this is your actual condition. You are a wretched man, but you don't know it. You know it's interesting. This word wretched is a word, uh, in, well, in our English language, it's a pretty strong word that uh, we sort of have our own ideas about. But in the Greek, the word basically means misery. Misery. It's found in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, where the Lord is moving the Apostle Paul to write, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Because uh, Paul is still struggling with the physical body, even though he has a new born-again soul. The only other instance in the Bible where the English word wretched is found is a translation in the Old Testament where it's um, translated as wretchedness. In Numbers 11 and verse um, 14 and 15, where Moses is speaking to the Lord. And God moves him to say, I'm not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Isn't that interesting? 
that this word in the English is found only three times here in Revelation 3, 17, and once in Romans 7, where Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. And once in the Old Testament, where Moses speaks of his wretchedness. You see, true believers realize their condition. They realize that this is the case with them. But what God is saying to someone who thinks he's a believer is that he knows not that he is wretched. He does not understand the actual situation with himself. Well, uh, we'll discuss this a little further when we get together in our next Bible study.